Good morning, friends. It's good to see you all and your faces. My name is Susie Deuce. I'm the director of family ministries here at La Jolla Presbyterian Church. And um, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what's been going on in the kids' ministry because they gave me a microphone, so I get to do that. Uh, This past week, we sent 32 middle schoolers and 12 high schoolers up to Camp Pondo for an amazing week. I highly recommend that you talk to some of our interns because they all were there. There they are. It was, uh, the theme was neon 90s, so it was tubular, um, but they had, they had a great time. So I, I, I suggest that when you see them out there this morning that you ask them about that. And also, I ask that you would um, pray for VBS next week. Yes, it is a week from tomorrow. Sometimes when people know what I do, they say, are, are you crazy to work with kids? I say, you don't have to be, but it helps. Because some, for some reason, I agreed to preach the week before VBS. What was I thinking? I don't know. Anyway, we have 80 kids coming. We're going to be in backyards. We'll be talking about friendship, specifically between David and Jonathan. So we covet your prayers for next week. Um, so today, uh, I want to set your expectations correctly. For those of you who know me from um, online, I will be speaking longer than five minutes. Sorry. Um, for those of you who actually know me, you will not be surprised at all how long I speak. So I'm going to get started now. Uh, it's summertime, and one of my favorite summertime memories is of my son, AJ, when he turned four. He was a fish. That kid had been in water since he was like four or five months old. So we're at my parents' condo, and they have a pool, and we're in there, and I notice him noticing the diving board. And all these kids are going off the diving board, and I can just see his wheels spinning. And so eventually, he comes up to me, and it's no surprise. He says, Mom, Mom, I want to go off the diving board. And I said, Awesome, buddy, go, go for it. So he climbed up out of the pool, and he stood in line, and he watched these kids one by one. And they were running, running off the end. They were doing backflips, you know. I mean, it was crazy, cannonballs. So it's his turn. He steps up on the board, and he just marches out to the edge, and he looks down. Okay, have you ever been on a diving board? I do not know what that, like, space-time continuum thing is, but it's for some reason, from when you are in the pool looking up to when you stand on that board, it's like twice the distance. What is that? I don't know. It's, but you all know what I'm talking about, right? So he's standing there. His eyes are like this big, right? And then he looks at me. And he says, Mom, is this in 3D? (laughs) And I knew exactly what he meant, right? I mean, his heart was pounding. His eyes were big. The the hairs on his arm were standing up. He was so supremely in that moment. He wasn't afraid. There was no fear on his face. Maybe there should have been. But there was no fear on his face. Because when he was in the pool, he had already weighed his options. He had already known, thought about how well he could swim, right? He knew I was going to be in the pool just in case. I'm sure he had watched and subconsciously saw these kids getting out and going back and getting out and going back. And so somehow he determined he could do that too. So by the time he got to the end of that board, he already determined he was going to do it. He'd made his decision, right? And he jumped, And then he got out and he jumped again and again and like a hundred more times, right? And each time he jumped, 
was with less trepidation and more abandon and just frankly more joy, right? He got, he got more excited about it. He was, by the end, he was kind of bouncing, right? I think he might have gone off backwards once. It was pretty exciting. But I think he, I knew what he meant when he said, is this 3D? Because I've been there, and I think we've all been there, right? You know, when you, you've weighed something in your mind, gosh, can I do this? Should I do this? All this. And then you just make that determination. And you get there, and you're standing on the edge of whatever that is. And you're going to do it. Your heart's pounding, and your eyes are big, and, and you're, you're going to do it. And you're living in that 3D moment, right? The moment you caught your first wave, first stepped on stage, asked out a crush, whatever that was, we've all had those 3D moments where we're supremely right there. And so today, I want to talk about living that 3D life for God. So last week, um, we're in the book of Daniel. Last week, Pastor Paul talked about... uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he had this dream. Just to recap, he had this dream. He couldn't remember what the dream was, but he was so troubled, he knew, he knew something was going on. So he calls all his advisors, all his wise people together, and he says, um, hi, I have this, here's a softball. I want you to tell me what I dreamed last night, right? And then you're going to tell me what, you, what it means. And um, not surprisingly, they couldn't do this. And so he, in all of his wisdom, decides that they should all be killed. You know, he was a reasonable guy. And Daniel and his friends are part of this, this, this group of wise people. And Daniel gets wind of this, and he says, whoa, 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 I think I know a guy. Give me some time. So he asks his friends to pray with and for him, and they do, and God tells him the dream, he, he, and he goes to the king, and he explains everything, and the king is amazed. And he declares right then, your God is the God of God's the Lord of Kings. And in that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar had a glimpse, a glimpse of who God really is, of his power, and probably not understanding yet, but that Daniel had access to that because he lived that out loud life. He lived that 3D life. More about that when the lion comes. So here we are uh, at the end of Daniel, or Daniel, at the end of chapter two, and he's declaring, your God is the God of gods. And then, (laughs) just go back and read this. I am not making this up. The very first line in chapter three, he's building a statue for himself. Apparently, whatever awe that was that he had, it had just lost a little bit of its shine, right? Right? Because here he is building the statue to himself. God obviously was not in his rightful place in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But why? He had he'd been a part of an actual miracle. So how did he forget? Now, let's give him a little credit. It had actually been 20 years between chapters 2 and chapters 3. So, But we don't know. Was it, a, was it a day, a week, a decade? Somehow, he went from being in awe of God to just sort of putting him on a shelf with all the other little gods that he had, because here he is building a statue and demanding that everybody bow down to it. And as kings are wont to do when they make a demand, command, decree, all those things, if you choose not to, you get a punishment. 
And his punishment, famously, was being thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, I'm not sure you all know this, but apparently death or threat of death is a great motivator for a lot of people. So they, everybody's, you know, if you hear all the music, I want you guys to bow down. And if you don't, we're going to throw you into the furnace. So uh, he, he finds out, because some guy who didn't like Jews snitched on him, he finds out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not bowing down. And he's incredulous. These guys have been with him for probably 25 years at this point, right? He, he trusts them. He's put them as advisors over the, the province of Babylon. How could they of all people not obey this? So he calls him in, and, you know, he's a, oh, see, this is where I keep him. Where'd they go? Here we go. And uh, being so generous, he gives them a second chance here in uh, Daniel 3, verse 15. He says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And I'm just imagining Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being like, glad you asked. I made that up. I don't really know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to their king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Why in this matter? Because this was a matter of God. Now, we don't know what happened, the daily life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for the past 20 years. But we do know that they were noted, along with Daniel, after the fall of Judah, that that they were some of the, the faithful followers of God. And we can assume that because they refused to bow down to the statue, that they were still faithful followers of God. And then I would suggest that not only were they faithful followers of God, but they were daily followers of God. That they were in deliberate pursuit of God. Because I don't, can't think of anything else that would cause them to deny the king and, and their own lives, right? This is a daily pursuit. But why is that important? Why is the, the deliberate, that's our first D in 3D. Did you know I was going to come up with that? Yeah. Is deliberate. Why do we have to be deliberate about this? Well, look at King Nebuchadnezzar. He was part of an actual miracle. And he forgot. How does that happen? Right? It's because daily life is so easy to get caught up in that if we do not surround ourselves, start our day in that space of awe, we are so likely to get distracted. Ooh, that's another D. There's going to be a lot of Ds in here, but deliberate is the first one. And so, uh, let's go, I'm sorry. We have to go back to this. Okay. So I want you to know, this is funny. My husband will laugh. I think I forgot to tell him that I'm quoting him in this. 
whatever. I preach every 10 years. He'll probably forgive me. Um, so uh, baseball is a huge deal in my house. My husband and my, my son have played their whole lives. They both played through college. And um, we have watched a lot of games. And so one day my husband turns to me and he says, hey, did you know that hitting a major league baseball is impossible? And I said, um, well, from the hundreds of games we've watched and the people I've seen hit them, I beg to differ, right? I've seen, we've all seen it done. And he said, no, 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 what I mean is scientifically it's been proved. It's impossible to hit a major league pitch. So he goes on to explain, okay, there's a, a ball traveling 90 miles an hour at 60 feet. The batter has 150 milliseconds to decide whether or not to swing that bat. And then the ball is only in a hittable space for 15 milliseconds. You add to that, it's a round ball and a round bat, and the pitch might be moving and all of that kind of stuff. It's scientifically impossible. And yet we see them do it every day. So how does that work? Well, one time when my, my husband was... Um, coaching our son AJ's little league team, he had the opportunity to take AJ and some of his teammates to see Mr. Padre, Tony Gwynn. Oh yeah, there should be a murmur of excitement there in the crowd. And so the, the boys, you know, they, they, had, they had graduated, they were up to live pitch, right? And they had just been giving Andy a hard time. What do we have to hit off a tee, Mr. Deuce? You know, we, we, we hit live pitches now, you know. So they get up there, open the door, there's Tony, one of the greatest hitters. And Andy says to him, hey, Tony, do you ever hit off a tee? And Tony says, every day. I don't think the boys grumbled after that. I have no idea. But the question is, Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest, why is he hitting off a tee? Isn't that Little League t-ball? Well, here's the truth. I talked to my son about this, and he said, the reason that you hit off a tee, and you hit off a tee daily, and for not just once, but over and over, is because it creates muscle memory. Muscle memory. So that when Tony stepped into that box, he didn't have to think about his swing. He has 150 milliseconds to figure out where that ball is going to be so he can hit it, right? He, he doesn't have time to think, well, now, now am I going to lean back? What's my stance? He doesn't have time to do all that, right? Life is coming 90 miles an hour at him. And because he does all of that work, because he immerses himself in that and is deliberate about choosing to hit off the tee, when the time comes for the decision to be made, it's done. It's already done, right? And that's our second D decision. When we deliberate, when we meditate on God, when we spend time in that space of awe, then the decisions of life are predetermined, right? Life comes at us 90 miles an hour. Kids are screaming, bosses are demanding, not Paul. You know, Things are coming at us 90 miles an hour. And our, our humanity wants to just react. But when we have allowed ourselves to just dwell in that space of awe, then our, our thoughts, our words, and our actions should predetermine 
be, be, be predetermined to honor God. All right. So now we get to, uh, they continue here in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O God. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O, o King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know, I read an article recently uh, by this gal named Natalie Rigoli, and I think she just hit the nail on the head. It, I don't even know if this is unique to her, but, but it just really hit for me. And she said, fearing God is the antidote to the fear of anything else. Fearing God is the antidote to the fear of anything else. And of course, the scripture came to mind, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? But how, much of, how many of us believe that? How many of us live that every day, right? When you allow yourself to deliberate every day, then your decisions are predetermined and your actions are. So King Nebuchadnezzar is, um, you know, not pleased that these guys aren't bowing down. And uh, I love it because this is so petty. He decides to make the furnace seven times hotter. What is that? It's like petty. It seems, seems really silly to me. But I think it's because he didn't want these guys to just die. He wanted them to be obliterated, right? Dust. So he gets his, his, his uh, soldiers. They tie him up. They go, it's so hot. The soldiers die before they even get there, right, at the, at the mouth of it. And then, and I think this is amusing or just interesting, instead of the first thing King Nebuchadnezzar realizing, instead of him realizing that they're not burning up, he does a head count. Now, as a teacher, I highly appreciate that. We're head counting all the time, right? You know what I'm talking about. And so he calls over to his, his, his advisors. He says, okay, didn't we just put three people in there? And they're like, yeah, we did, we did. He says, but there are four walking around. And one of them looks like the son of God's. And all of a sudden, he starts to have an aha moment. And I, I, I'm, I think, I can imagine that somewhere in his mental Rolodex, he's flipping back about 20 years. And he's going, oh, Daniel, what his God did. These three, same God. And he is having this aha moment. He's realizing that that. This, the true God, our real, true, living God is not like those petty little G gods that he has. He is powerful. He is all-powerful. And so he calls to them, and he says, come out of there. Come out of there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. And this brings us to the third D, difference. What difference do our decisions make, right? 
Humans make 35,000 decisions a day. No wonder I'm exhausted by the end of the night, right? Most of those are habitual. 35,000 decisions. Out of the 35,000 you make every day, how many honor God? How many encourage other believers? How many give non-believers the opportunity to have an aha moment? What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, and you'll notice in the, the, this that, that they were the only ones not bowing down, but they were not the only Jews, right? So that meant there were other believers there who were bowing down, who feared the king more than they feared God. But what an encouragement. I love it when they say, look, king, he can save us, but even if he doesn't, he still wins. God still wins. He still wins because if he didn't save them, I can imagine that the Jews would be so encouraged. Look at their faith. But he did save them. How encouraging is that, right? And Nebuchadnezzar had his aha moment. And he went on to decree that everybody, nobody could say anything bad about this God. When we allow ourselves to deliberately be in that space with God, that space of awe daily, it will inform our decisions and our thoughts, words, and actions are then able to make a difference, not only in the lives around us, but in the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Come on, you all know me. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your living word. God, that these three men so, so long ago can still encourage believers today. God, we pray that you would give us the, the discipline to be deliberate about being with you every day, to spend time in that space so that we can make that automatic decision to honor you in everything we do and make a difference in your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.